We've been spending uh, four weeks talking about generosity. You've uh, seen the books that we handed out, and I hope you've been able to follow the daily readings. Today we go to Paul. This is Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, and clearly Paul's asking for money as he takes up an offering for the people in Jerusalem who are starving, and this is what he says to the church at Corinth. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not under compulsion or reluctantly, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So in everything, at all times, you will have what you need so that you may abound in every good work. It is written, those who scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, I was not raised on a farm like Ginger. Uh, There were no tractors in my neighborhood, though the guy two doors down had a really cool Mustang. But still, division or metaphor of reaping and sowing is not all that difficult, is it? The so-called law of the farm. You understand that if a farmer plants corn, he can't expect to go out in the field and, and reap bales of cotton. If, as Ginger pointed out, her father had only planted a few seeds of corn, he would not have expected to have an abundant harvest of corn. Another way to say it is the metaphor of reaping and sowing tends to say that our actions have consequences. And there can be bad harvests and there can be good harvests. And so, for example, if we're a student and we fail to study adequately for the test, we may harvest a poor grade. If we're an adult or moving on toward retirement and we have failed to set aside money for retirement, we may harvest a life that we're not able to do and to give as we had hoped to be able to do and to give. Or if if we have um, sowed in our life a poor exercise and a poor diet, we may harvest a life later on that is fraught with health difficulties. On the other hand, harvest can be very good. We can study appropriately for the exam and and do well. We can not only give, but save and find that we're able to continue to give on into the future. We can be attentive to our bodies and find that we have strength to do the things that we're called to do later in our lives. Basically, actions have consequences. As Dallas Willard once said, our results stem chiefly from the things that we do, not from the things that we don't do. And so the metaphor is there for Paul to use. And Paul goes with the biblical metaphor uh, and says to the people what had already been said in uh, the Old Testament in a variety of ways. But he says, basically, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. He's a little more direct with the Galatians. He simply says to them, you reap what you sow. Now, he got this from his own leader, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who uh, told a number of parables I'm sure Paul had uh, had recounted to him by the disciples of Jesus about sowers and their seeds. 
And in fact, uh, Jesus said things uh, that maybe weren't even in sower parables that have to do with sowing and reaping. Uh, those of us studying the Sermon on the Mount together, remember this verse where Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, now the measure uh, that uh, you uh, give is going to be the measure that you get. That there's going to be uh, a reaction uh, in, in response to the actions of your life. And actually, Jesus wasn't the first one who ever said that. Uh, the ancient rabbis, looking at the story of Samson, made the comment about the life of Samson. You remember Samson? You know, guy with long hair, great strength. And, but at the end of his life, Samson finds himself tied up and his eyes poked out. And the rabbis, looking at the story, make the comment, well, the measure that Samson gave is the measure that he got. And what they said is that Samson's eyes got him in trouble. He fell in love with the Philistine women, started chasing their women and therefore their gods, and went away from the true God of the universe. And so it was only appropriate, in a sense, at the end, that his eyes that got him in trouble were removed. Well, whether we agree with the rabbi's theology there, we understand that what they were saying is, in a sense, what goes around comes around. What we do will have a direct consequence. And so, Jesus talks of sowers and seeds. Paul talks in sowers and seeds. And the truth of the matter is, when the Bible uses the sower and seed story, it's often in relationship to financial giving and generosity. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. As I mentioned, Paul's trying to raise money. This is a fundraising letter, uh, in part. And he's saying to the Corinthians, there are people starving and your money can help them, so he uses the sower and seed metaphor. Uh, that's been done in the Proverbs. It says this, that uh, those who are gener generous get wealthier and wealthier, and those who are stingy find that they lack even the basic needs. And so there was a sowing and reaping uh, metaphor in Proverbs about giving. And it is important. Uh, that to understand that our giving, as we give generously, there are all sorts of generous uh, responses that follow. The great philanthropist in, uh, in 20th century in Texas, R.G. Letourneau, once said, God shovels it in, I shovel it out, but God's shovel is always bigger. It's kind of his way of talking about reaping, sowing and reaping generously. And I don't want you to be alarmed. There will be a time, in fact, coming very soon, where we can talk about financial generosity and indicate a commitment to God about what we might do. And, and you'll read more about that next week. But this week, I began to think that if it's the law of the farm, if it's the law of nature, if it's the way that God set things up, then wouldn't sowing and reaping have other applications besides just financial generosity? Aren't there other measures of generosity that would be uh, affected by this law as well? So here's what I want to do with you for just a minute. I want you to think back a couple Sundays ago or think forward in a, in a few Sundays when people come forward and join uh, uh, Heights United Methodist Church. What I typically ask them is, will you support this church and in the, in the work of, of God through this church through your prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness? And I want you to think about that as five seeds that you can plant in the lives of others. Now, all financial advisors will tell us to diversify, and I think God wants us to diversify as well. Find a number of ways to sow into the lives of others. So I just want to make a few observations. We can sow into the lives of others through prayer. Now, often uh, we pray, and many of us are uh, very good about quiet times and daily meditation. That's very important. But do our prayers extend to the lives of other people? Do we put their well-being in front of God in our prayers? 
prayer is a wonderful opportunity to sow into the life of another and find them being able to reap a blessing in their life because of our sowing. Dallas Willard, again, in a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, said that prayer is partnering with God in the shaping of human history. Now, that may seem like it's claiming too much, but if you go through the scriptures, now you will find uh, people of God praying and you will find people, uh, things changing as a result of those prayers. So I would invite you to think about the seed of prayer, that you may begin to, if you don't already, to have people that you pray for on a regular basis. Uh, we're having a prayer room open house uh, uh, this morning, and you can uh, go down the arcade here on, on uh, this side next to the Christian Life Center, go into our prayer room, and there you'll find an opportunity uh, to pray for people in a very disciplined way uh, for an hour once a week. So that's a wonderful seed that we can sow that we know uh, that makes a difference. Another thing we can sow in people's lives is simply presence, to, to be with them. Presence means when the body of Christ is gathering, I want to be there with them to encourage them. And so when you're here this morning, you're an encouragement to the person next to you because they know they're not the only one who believes. They're not the only one who's seeking. They're not the only one on this journey. So your presence is an encouragement. And if you share with one another after um, the service or you share in a small group or class, you find that their listening ear becomes an encouragement. Uh, my small group has had to listen to a lot from me over 16 years, but it's been an encouragement to me. And what I've found is that often God has a word for me through them. What I've found typically is God doesn't often speak to me through writing in the clouds or lightning or a loud voice. But often God will put just the right word at the right time in the mouth of another person. And if they're present to me, they'll be able to share. But if they're not there, then I'm going to miss what they have. Now, the great Yogi Berra used to have a very direct uh, sowing and reaping way of talking about presence. He said this. He said, if you don't go to other people's funerals, they won't go to yours. Well, maybe ours is not quite that direct. But there is a sense that if you get present with another person, person perhaps who's lonely, person who's struggling, that you're really going to place yourself in an opportunity to be used by God in their life and to bless them. You know, there are a lot of people uh, who are uh, locked away, really, in our world through no crime other than just outliving other people. And they sort of get removed from the mainstream of our daily life and they get set aside. And sometimes there's no one to listen to them and to visit with them. Do you think it's coincidental that we have a church planted right between two uh, retirement nursing facilities? These are people of God with much to give and much to receive. And our simple presence could sow a blessing into their life and we could be blessed as well. Another way we ask people to, to, to plant a seed is just through service. And, and I'm not asking you to go out and, and cure a disease today or solve global uh, poverty. Uh, find a place, though, where you can meet a need that a person has or a segment of society has. I love what Shane Claiborne in the Simple Way community in Philadelphia does. And Shane Claiborne spent some time with Mother Teresa, so he learned this thing from her. Uh, they live in a community in uh, Philadelphia, and they try to be a blessing to that community, all the people that live in this house together. And they are a blessing to the underserved in that community. But when someone comes to the door with a need, before they answer the door, they see the sign above the door that basically reminds them, we do no great things 
we only do small things out of great love. And this call to service for most of us is not a call to some great thing. But it is a call to, to serve another person with great love and see what God may bring and what kind of crop may come in through that investment of our time and energy. And then when people join the church, we ask them not only to pray and to be present and to serve, but we ask them also to witness. And that is to articulate in appropriate ways at appropriate times what God has done in their life or is doing in their life in a way that encourages and sows hope into another person. And I found out the last service, I wasn't the only one who grew up with this, but I grew up with connect the dot pictures. Do you remember those things? You know, all you saw were the dots and the numbers, and you weren't really sure what it was till you connected one to two, two to three, three to four, and then to five, and then uh, whatever the picture was began to take shape. And I think sometimes the picture of God's love is that way for the world, that there are the dots that are in the world are our actions of love and our demonstrations of encouragement to, uh, to people. But what connects the dots for them are the words that we share at appropriate ways and appropriate times. What God has done or is doing are our hopes uh, uh, for them that we will lift to God. And that, that sort of fills out the picture of God's love for them. And you start to do that and you sow words and you find then that you may reap, in fact, a harvest of someone coming to know better and understand that they are a child of God loved unconditionally, not for what they do or haven't done, but for just being who they are. But they don't find that out if we don't show them and then add the telling to the showing. And so these are investments that we can make in the lives of other people that end up reaping, I think, a harvest of blessing for another person. But if you're like me, you're thinking, well, how do I have time to do that? I don't have enough seed in the back of my truck. The needs are too great. Uh, I don't have energy. Uh, but here's, I think, what you will find. If you listen to Paul, he says, in everything at all times, God will give you what you need so that you may abound in good works. And I just encourage you to test God on this. If you don't think you have time to go and listen to someone who's lonely, make the time and see what happens to your time. If you don't think you have enough energy to give someone who has a need, give to them anyway and see what happens to your energy level. If you don't think you have enough seed in the back of your pickup truck, go ahead and give them some seed and then look in your truck again and see if you don't find out that there's been more seed and that God has continued to multiply. One of the um, lessons of reaping and sowing that, that is sort of counterintuitive in some ways is the more seed that we give away, the more we find in our truck. But seed-bearing plants work that way anyway, don't they? As we plant a seed-bearing plant, as it grows, there are more seeds. So as you give of yourself to others, you will actually find that you have even more to give. I got a letter this week, and it was uh, from a couple who a number of years ago had been among you. Uh, like many couples in our church, younger couple um, uh, struggling and growing in their marriage and their life and, and dealing with their children and the, and the needs and issues their children have. And he described in the letter a number of those issues, but then went on to describe ways that people in this church had intersected them in those issues. 
Ways that probably a lot of you don't even realize. Well, they moved to another state. And then sometime later, they wrote me this letter thanking me. Well, I'm used to getting blamed for stuff I didn't do, but this is really cool. You know, getting thanked for something I didn't do. These were seeds that you planted. And the letter was dated Thursday, March 31st. Well, that was the harvest. But it was four and five years ago when they walked among us that you planted those seeds. In a few minutes after Ken responds, I'm going to give you an opportunity to think about seeds that you might place in the life of somebody around you. And we've placed baskets around the sanctuary because you may remember when we were in Africa, what we see is that they come forward with the offering and they put it in a basket. Whether or not they have anything, they come at the very least with their intention. Well, I want you to find that slip of paper this morning in your bulletin. Pray and think over that as a seed, as an intention to sow into someone's life a harvest that God may yet bring.